You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Merciful God, thank you for the wisdom of the cross that through the death of Jesus you have given us life. Help us choose life, choose you, choose your son each and every day, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's be honest. Most decisions in life are not that important, are they? I mean, we think they are, but in reality, they don't really matter. It doesn't really matter which degree we study. It doesn't really matter which job we accept. And in the grand scheme of things, it even really doesn't matter which house we buy. You see, in in the end, when it comes to our study, our work and our home, we think that our whole lives will ride on our decision. But in fact, in the end, it'll be okay. But some decisions in life really do matter, don't they? I mean, it really does matter whether we stay single or get married. And it really does matter whether this is the man or that is the woman to whom we are married. See, making these decisions, making life-changing decisions, they can feel sometimes that we're standing at a fork in the road, can't they? Two paths lie before us and we don't quite know where they'll lead. But whichever path we choose today will set the trajectory for our lives tomorrow. Some decisions in life really do matter. There are some decisions in life where you really don't want to stuff it up. And as we arrive at the end of our short series through Proverbs 1 to 9, I want us actually this day to make the single most important decision we will ever make. This will be the decision that defines every other decision, the path that will chart every other path. You see, your answer to this question will form a core around which everything else in your life will revolve. Most decisions in life don't really matter. Some decisions in life really do matter. But this decision matters most. Because Christian or not, I want to let you know that it will define your life. And here it is. Here it is. Will you live for yourself or will you follow Jesus? Will you live for yourself or will you follow Jesus? And you might think you've already answered that question. You probably said yes already. And maybe this is the day that you can reaffirm that yes. You see, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer that question, to reaffirm a decision, or to make that decision for the very first time. But before we do, we're going to look at our two options, the two paths that lie before us. You're going to see on the screen something that I've worked very hard on on Canva. It took me a very long time, and I'm quite proud of it, actually. In our journey through Proverbs, we've been searching for wisdom. We've been walking in wisdom, haven't we? In chapter 1, we saw that wisdom begins with fearing the Lord. It's based on a relationship of total trust in the God who created this world and the God who saved his people. Then in chapters 2 to 4, as you move along that blue arrow, that took me a very long time to find, we discovered that the heart of wisdom is a transformed heart. You know, as we journey through life, wisdom, it's not a GPS that tells us turn left. No, it's an inner compass 
that points to our true north. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And last week in chapters 5 to 7, be careful. We were warned that the path away from wisdom is slow and gentle. It all starts with one small step. And if we're not careful, it will cost us our lives. So keep following wisdom. Keep pursuing God. And today, in Proverbs 9, we arrive at a fork in the road with two divergent paths before us. You see, one is the path of wisdom and the other the path of foolishness. One direction means to follow Jesus and the other means to live for ourselves. One way leads to life and the other leads to death. You see, our journey through Proverbs 1-9 to has been leading to this very day to this very point, to this very sermon. And today, you and I must make a choice. Today, you and I must decide which path to travel. And we cannot travel both. And whichever path we choose, whatever decision we make, the consequences are eternal. Because choosing wisdom is actually a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. You see, all of us will make a choice, won't we? We'll either live as wise or we'll die as fools. And chapter 9 is inviting you and me today to make that choice. A choice between two women, two invitations, two fates, and two gods. Two women, two invitations, two fates, and two gods. Let's look at them in turn. Two women. We've met these two women before, haven't we? It might surprise you. In chapter 1, we met a woman who personifies wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 20, she says that she calls out in the streets. She makes her voice heard in the public squares. See, wisdom wants your attention. She wants you to follow her, to listen to her, to heed her words. And if you do, she'll lead you into righteousness, justice and integrity, every good path. You see, God's Word will enter and transform our hearts from the inside out. And it'll do what only God can do. New desires, new affections, and new loves. Wisdom will give us minds that treasure God's words, hearts that love His Son, and lives that reflect His gospel. Wisdom will make us people who know, love, and live for Jesus. And here in in chapter 9, we meet wisdom once again. Just look at verse 1. Verse 1 says she's built her house. She's carved out her seven pillars. Now you see in the Bible, the number 7 represents completeness. And the place where wisdom lives, it's complete and perfect in every way. Just notice how she's not just true, but she's actually good. And she's beautiful. Chapter 9, verse 2, she's prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. See, wisdom, she's preparing a perfect meal in her perfect house. And we need to remind ourselves, right, that following Jesus isn't just the right thing to do. My gosh, it's the best thing that we could do. It's the best way to live. But wisdom is not alone. In verse 13, we meet someone that looks a lot like her, but actually couldn't be more different from her. We kind of meet her evil twin sister, her arch enemy. We meet foolishness. 
And this isn't the first time we've met her either, is it? If you were here last week, you would have met her. Not, not in person, we met her in the text. We've, we've met this woman before. She's that forbidden woman. That temptress who represents sin, foolishness, and a life without Jesus as our king. I mean, I just love how verse 13 describes her. She is rowdy. And if we're not careful, she'll lead us away from wisdom. And just like last week, we'll be that young dumb fool who strolled too close to her house, who was seduced by sin, like a lamb to the slaughter, we don't know that it will cost us our lives. Don't flirt with foolishness. Don't mess with sin. I mean, just look at chapter 9, verse 13, right? It says that she knows nothing. She knows nothing. Now, that does not mean that she's not the sharpest tool in the shed. It means that she lacks wisdom. So up the road on our left is wisdom, and down the road on our right is foolishness, and all of us must make a choice between them. I know that some of you this year looking at your diaries are looking at your diaries with a slight sense of terror. Because for us this year, it's the year of weddings, isn't it? And the challenge for every couple is to find a date which doesn't clash with another wedding. I remember a number of years ago, I was invited to two weddings on the same day, at the same time, one in Melbourne and one in Sydney. And both couples had asked me pretty much on the same day if I could preach at their wedding. I received two invitations, but I could only accept one. Suffice to say, one of those couples has not spoken to me since. Well, friends, that's the situation here in Proverbs 9. Wisdom and foolishness, they're both hosting house parties, and you're invited to both. Don't you feel special? I was talking to someone the other night. Often we just want to receive that invitation. I want to reserve the right to not attend it, but I just like to be invited. Well, you've got an invitation to two conflicting house parties today. And when you look at these invitations, my gosh, they're awfully similar. It's as if they awkwardly chose the same design on Canva or Microsoft Publisher. But look at verse 4. Wisdom says, whoever's inexperienced, enter here. But in verse 16, we pull out the other invitation. Whoever's inexperienced, enter here. Oh, this is awkward. Both these women are hosting separate house parties. And both of them have mailed the exact same invitation to the very same person. Who is it? The inexperienced. The one who lacks sense. The one who lacks heart. You see, our guest is the young man that we met last week. That young fool who was deceived by sin. But at this point, he hasn't yet chosen which woman to follow. He hasn't yet chosen which invitation to accept. But just you wait, because by the end of this chapter, he will be innocent no more. He will have either accepted the invitation of wisdom or the invitation of foolishness. He would have RSVP'd going to one and interested on the other frustratingly. Well, friends, we stand in the shoes of this young man. We stand at a crossroads and we will have to choose one of these two paths and interested just won't cut it. You see, if you're not a Christian, it can be really easy to have a certain sort of respectable neutrality when it comes to God, can't it? Like, you might say, well, I don't really know if there's a God, and I guess Jesus sounds like a pretty cool guy, so here's what I'll do. I won't say no. I just won't say yes. 
pretty happy on the fence. But friends, don't think that you can occupy some sort of neutral middle ground here. It's almost as if Proverbs 9 was painted to give us a clear choice. Two women to follow. Two invitations to accept. Two paths to tread. Two ways to live. Will you follow wisdom or will you choose foolishness? Will you trust in Jesus or will you trust in yourself? See, there's no halfway house here on this road. And whichever choice you make, be in no doubt, you will make a choice. Back in the early 20th century, there was a Christian uh, called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he lived in Nazi Germany. And Bonhoeffer was a German, and unlike uh, so many Jews, it meant that he was safe from the Third Reich. And you can imagine being in this situation whilst you saw all your Jewish friends get taken away. You're the one German, so you're safe. Imagine the pressure to stay silent. Imagine the temptation to say nothing. Imagine the temptation to do nothing, to not speak, to not act, to not stand up against Hitler. But Bonhoeffer, he spoke, he acted, and he paid for it with his life. This is what he said. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Well, friends, not to choose wisdom is to choose foolishness. Not to, cho not to follow Jesus is to live for ourselves. My dear friend, it's time to get off the fence. It's time to make a call. But in order to make that call... We didn't know what exactly we're being invited to. We all do that, don't we? We get the two invitations and we wish we could see the invite list on both of them. We assess them and think, look, I think I have more friends at this one, so I'll probably go to that one. Whereas if I were at this party, I'd just find that one person and cling to them for dear life. Well, we need to know what exactly we're being invited to. And this young man is invited to a feast with wisdom or a supper with sin. A feast with wisdom or a supper with sin. Look at verse 5. Wisdom's invitation. Come, eat my bread, and drink the wine I have mixed. Oh, this is great. This is a meal that wisdom has prepared herself. A meal that's rightly made with clean hands and a pure heart. But look at the banquet prepared by foolishness, a supper with sin in verse 17. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten secretly is tasty. You see, friends, can you see the difference between these two meals, right? The first, it's righteous, it's godly, and it's good, but the second is sinful. It's stolen, and it's wicked. Now, you might think that's pretty obvious, cut and dry. I'd just choose a good meal, wouldn't I? But if we're honest... We all have this mysterious secret attraction to that second meal, don't we? All of us, we're ever so enticed, ever so slightly, by the false promises of sin. Because sin feeds off our natural desire to do what we must not. To go where we should not. To have what we cannot. We're, we're like children who are told, don't play with fire, but then just because our parents told us not to do it, that's exactly what we go and do. 
right? If someone tells you don't do it, it almost makes you want to do it even more. See, friends, don't underestimate the tempting power of sin. Because once it tempts us, it will trap us. It will call us and then control us. I wonder if you noticed something a little bit awkward. Behind these invitations, there's a real intimacy that's implied here. See, both these women are inviting this young man not just to eat with them, but actually to sleep with them, to be intimate with them. This young man is being invited into the most intimate relationship with either wisdom or foolishness. And you and I will be shaped, influenced, and controlled by one of these two women. The truth is we're going to be so intimate with wisdom or so close with foolishness that one of them will control our heads, our hearts, and our hands. All of us will be ruled by wisdom or enslaved by sin. The question for us is this. Which one? Which one? Two women. Two invitations. And two fates, two fates. Just look at the young man's fate if he accepts wisdom's invitation. Verse 6, leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. See friends, here's the great benefit of wisdom, life. And that means life in this world. You see, Solomon is not promising us an easy life. But he is promising us a good life. A life truly worth living. And it doesn't stop here. It extends to an eternal life with joy and love that is found in Jesus and his people. Let me be very clear. If you're looking at how can I live a life worth living, the only life truly worth living is a life with Jesus as our king. But if this young man accepts the invitation of foolishness, verse 18 says, he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And Sheol is the spiritual graveyard of the dead, and that is exactly where this young man is headed. He will go to the house of sin. He will eat with her. He will sleep with her. But little does he know that in making his bed with her, he is making his grave with her. Choosing wisdom is a matter of life and death. Choose wisdom and we'll live. But choose foolishness and we will die. You see, friends, that's what we're choosing between. Not just two women, nor just two invitations, but we're choosing between two fates, two destinies. But I want you to know that our choice is greater still. It's not just between two women. It's actually, believe it or not, between two gods. Between two gods. Stow me outside the campsite later. I want you to notice where these two women live. Chapter 9, verse 3 says, Wisdom has sent out her female servants. She calls out from, here it is, the highest points of the city. Well, this is awkward now. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 14. Well, where does foolishness live? She sits by the doorway of her house. On a seat, again, at the highest points of the city. You see, in the ancient Near East, there was only one building that sat at the top of the hill. One building that was above all other buildings. The temple, the house of God. 
Who lives at the highest point of the city? God does. Do you see what's being said here? God doesn't just give us wisdom. God doesn't just point us to wisdom. No, God himself is wisdom. God himself is wisdom. And foolishness, she also lives at the highest points of the city. She personifies the false gods of this world. The idols that would lead us away from the one true God. You see, friends, the choice that we face is not fundamentally a matter of wisdom. At its heart, the choice that we face is a matter of worship. A matter of worship. You know, in our world, we too easily assume that wisdom and knowledge, anything that has to do with what we know, must exclude any consideration of God, right? We see this play out in so many of our university lectures, don't we? Any appeal to God, any appeal to the metaphysical is by definition irrational, illegitimate and unwise. If you're truly educated, you'd never factor God into the equation. In our world, true wisdom excludes God because we place ourselves at the center of the universe and we crown ourselves judge, jury and executioner of truth. But the story in Proverbs 9 could not be more different. Because true wisdom starts with recognizing that God created this world and He sits at the center of the universe. So don't you believe a word of it when someone comes and says, are you Christians? You're making us choose between God and science. That is not the case at all. No, the question that confronts each of us today isn't even will I worship God. The question is which God will I worship? Which God will I worship? Will I worship the one true God in Jesus Christ? Or will I worship the false gods of this world? Will I follow Jesus? Or will I trust in myself? Now you might think I'm not particularly religious. I don't really worship anything. Let's be honest, all of us worship something. All of us live for something. And we can know, here's the test, right? We can know what we worship by asking ourselves three questions. Number one, what do I value so much that I couldn't imagine my life without? What do I value so much that I could not imagine my life without? Number two, What do I treasure so supremely that I'd give anything to keep? What do I treasure so supremely that I'd give anything to keep? And number three, what defines who I am? What defines who I am? I know a number of you here are listening to the podcast by Uncle Tim, who is Tim Keller, who is not your uncle and you don't know him, but this is what it says in his book, The Reason for God. Our need for worth is so powerful that whatever we base our identity and value on, we essentially deify or we make God. We will look to it with all the passion and intensity of worship and devotion, even if we think ourselves as highly irreligious. Do you get what he's saying? We all worship something. We all take something and make it our God. 
You see, we don't worship money for the sake of money. We worship money so we might feel valuable. We don't worship popularity for the sake of popularity. No, we worship popularity so we might feel loved. We don't worship power for the sake of power. We worship power so we might feel worthy. But all the counterfeit gods of this world, personified by this woman called foolishness, only lead to one destination. Death. But friends, the one true God, the God of all wisdom, the God of the Bible revealed in Jesus Christ, He and He alone will lead to life. And not just today, but life eternal. See, we're like this young man. We stand at the crossroads today and we must choose our path. Whose invitation will you accept? Who will you dine with tonight? Will you worship God and enjoy Him forever? Or will we worship ourselves and dig our own grave? See, friends, sitting between these two invitations are verses 7 to 12. It's almost as if these two invitations point to what sits at the center. And right at the center, right at this crossroads, is a sign that points us in the right direction. Look at verse 10. Here's the sign that points us the right way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And once again, we're brought full circle, right? We're brought back to the fear of the Lord. That guiding light in our journey, that relationship of trust in the God who created this world and saved us in love. See, if you want to be wise with the everyday decisions in life, then it makes sense to be wise at the most important decision of all. Choose wisdom. Choose God. Choose Jesus. We stand in the shoes of this young man. We look at those two paths that lie before us. And that sign there that says, turn this way for wisdom, turn that way for foolishness. And as we see those roads go up their respective hills, we're expecting at the top of each hill to be two temples, right? Two homes, two houses. At the top of one, the one true God of life. And up the other mountain is the home of the one true path to death. So you're about to make a decision. But before you do, I want to lead you up one of those paths. I want to lead you on a quick journey. You happy to go there? Let's go. I'd like to walk up with you this hill to the highest point of the city. I want you, wait for it, I want you to meet Lady Wisdom yourself. We're going to meet her. So let's go. We, we, we walk along that long and winding path. The incline starts to get a bit more as we feel that lactic acid start to burn. We ascend the hill and finally we're about at the top and what do we see? Well, not what we should. We're expecting to see a temple. We're expecting to see someone's house. We're expecting to meet wisdom, but we don't see wisdom seated in her temple. At the top of this hill, we see Jesus nailed to a cross. You see, on this hill, we ascend it looking for the life of wisdom, but instead we just find the death of Christ. 
and you might just feel a little bit ripped off. I thought I'd come up here and meet life itself, and yet here I find a crucified king. How could the death of God possibly be wise? I mean, our Muslim friends, they recognize that this isn't just unwise, it's foolish. It's offensive. Just think about a, a holy God saves an unholy people by dying in their place. That's not wise, that, that's just a waste. Spilling the blood of a perfect God to forgive an evil and wicked humanity. No, that's not wise, that don't make sense. And yet, in 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul calls the death of Christ the ultimate wisdom. Jesus himself is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In fact, the death of Christ is so wise that it looks foolish to this world because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. Imagine that. A, a wisdom so great that when we look at it, we think it's stupid. Trusting in a crucified Christ? No, that looks more like stumbling down the way of foolishness more than ascending the way of wisdom. I mean, why die for a sinful humanity? Someone asked me recently, if we're really as sinful as we are, why in the world would God love us? Why in the world would God love us? That doesn't make sense. Here's a better idea. Let me write a better Bible. Don't take that out of context, please. Let me, write a, let me write a better Bible for a moment, right? Here's the idea. Why not just save those who deserve it and condemn the rest who don't? That would be fairer. Wouldn't that be wiser? Well, surely the wisest rule of all is that we all get what we deserve. But the problem with worldly wisdom is this. What if I'm not worthy? What if I don't deserve it? What hope do I possibly have? I mean, think about it, right? If my salvation and my forgiveness depends on my intelligence, my power, my wisdom, my success, I haven't got a hope. Because I know how helpless I am, how culpable I am, how sinful I am. I know I have nothing that could ever earn my way into heaven. Well, here's the greatest news you'll hear today. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing. To bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. You see, in his wisdom, God chose you and me. He saved you and me. He died for you and me. The temple of wisdom has transformed into the cross of Christ. And the wisdom of the cross, I have to tell you, is my only hope. My only hope is that Jesus walked the path of foolishness instead of me, that he met the fate of death out of love for me, and that he opened up the road to life, offering it freely to me. You might not think much of yourself. You might see yourself as a small person in a big world, a pretty ordinary person in a place and out of place among some pretty extraordinary people. You might realize the depths of your sin and the death you deserve. But I want you to know 
that there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. That Jesus died for fools like you and me. He died for the unwise. He died for the foolish. He died for the nothings. He died for the forgettables. And if you're not a Christian, can I plead with you, walk the road of wisdom. Come to the cross of Christ. Make the wisest decision you'll ever make in life. Fear the Lord. Trust in Jesus. Repent of walking away from Him and start walking after Him. And if you do, He'll forgive your every sin. He'll give you that clean slate, a fresh start, a second chance. He'll lead you all the way to life eternal. You see, friends, we stand at a crossroads. And before us lies two paths. One called wisdom and another called foolishness. And at the end of each road lies a different fate. One will lead to life and the other will lead to death. Most decisions in life really don't matter. Some decisions in life really do matter. But friends, this decision, this decision matters most. Because Christian or not, it will define your life. Which God will you worship? Will you live for yourself or will you follow Jesus? Who will you choose? If you decide that today is the day you start following Jesus, please come up and let me know. I can't wait to show you how you might live and walk with him every day. Let me pray. Merciful God, thank you for the wisdom of the cross. That through the death of Jesus we have received life. Help us choose life. Choose you. Choose your son each and every day. For Jesus' sake. Amen.